Hello, everyone. Welcome to episode 60 of Multiple Calls. I'm Scott Hewlett. There is more mental health and wellness information available than ever before. At a minimum, even the most reluctant can instantly find non-debatable, scientifically proven activities and habits that they can integrate into their daily lives and improve their well-being. If people do choose to seek support, in-person talk therapy is now far from their only option, allowing them to engage with self-discovery and take ownership of their healing in whatever way and on whatever level they are willing to, from dipping their toe in the water to diving deep. Somatic, psychedelic, equine, and art and music therapies now inhabit the same space as CBT, EMDR, and brain and vagus nerve stimulation options. It is becoming common for workplaces to provide employee family assistance plans, which can be accessed in person, via live video, over the phone, email, text, or live chat through an app. And these alternative mediums are also becoming available through outside providers. My guest this episode is a registered doctoral psychologist working with PSPNet, a free, federally funded online mental health support resource for public safety personnel and their families. She has been providing service to the general public, specializing in service provision to first responders, public safety personnel, and their families for the past 20 years. And she supports outreach and engagement of PSP Net services across Canada. Here's my chat with Jody Burnett. Do you want to start things off just by telling me a little bit about you and how your career led into you working with PSP and then we can get into the organization? I kind of knew right out of high school that I wanted to go into helping others and, and knew right away that I wanted to be a psychologist. So started picking away at the many degrees that you have to get to get <laughs> to get to this final end place. But I would say probably some of the best training and experience I had and what really kind of pivoted me to, to start working in this area was I started doing some training when I was doing my PhD under Dr. Cal Botterill. And he's out of Manitoba. And Cal, if you've ever watched Team Canada his kids, Jason and Jennifer, they both played for Team Canada. But Cal is a, is a world-renowned uh, high-performance sports psychologist. And I had the pleasure of working under him. And I was kind of dabbling, doing some work here with athletes and stuff at the time. We always kind of joke that we met online because that's how he found my profile <laughs> about some of the work I was doing. And I ended up going to train and, and do some training under him. And he was doing some work at the time with high-performing athletes. But then he started to move into the area of high-performance in healthcare. So looking at ER doctors, looking at specialists, surgeons, that kind of stuff. And I started really becoming intrigued by that work because it was interesting to see how you could take some of the skill from athletes and it could lend itself to, I don't want to say more important, but I would say life and death (laughs) sectors, right? So it was like, you want to help someone put goals in the back of the net. That is exciting. But it's probably even more important that your heart surgeon is on their game that day. So it really intrigued me. And so I was using that experience then coming back and forth to Saskatchewan. And I started to really be connected with more of the first responding public safety sector and started to see also, I mean, out of all the high performance occupations, that's a big one. That sector is huge because it really is life or death. If they're not on their game, not only is it harmful to the people that they want to protect, but also to themselves. And that's really where I started to get very, very interested in working more directly. And and I had had some experience. I'd worked in victim services here in Regina for the Regina Police Service early, early, early in my career. Like while I was still going to school, it was very, very intriguing work. And I just really, it just really hooked me because you don't see until you're inside the organization 
policing or those kinds of occupations or fire, it's very glorified. Like these are glorified positions. Everyone, when you're little, right? That's what you think. That's neat. Like, I'd love to do that. And then when you get inside of it, and I was the same way, very naive. But when you get inside of it, you start to see, oh my gosh. Like I started to be able to, I was supporting many of the homicide files and different things and the victims of crime. And then like that was shocking to see what really happens that's not in the media, that you don't hear about. Like it's stuff that you watch in the movies. And so as a mental health professional, working on that side of it, just being impacted secondhandedly, starting to get to know this world and what you guys are up against every day. So that was really kind of the hook. And that's where I really wanted to focus and dedicate my career. So I started working, I established a private practice, and I also do a lot of research and evaluations. So doing a lot of work in injustice and in policing. And then the opportunity to work with PSPNet came up in 2019. And I couldn't say no, because it's just such a, an innovative piece of work that's just growing. And I'm really, really excited to be a part of it. So how did the Public Safety Personnel Net get started? Maybe give me some origin on that. It's kind of neat. So Dr. Heather Hedges-Travopoulos, who is our principal investigator for PSPNet, but she is also um, an expert in internet-delivered cognitive behavior therapy. I and mean, she's been specializing in that area and doing a lot of research in that area for many, many years. And she had established something here in Saskatchewan uh, over a decade ago called the Online Therapy Unit. So the idea of the online therapy unit, and she was working with a group out of Australia, Macquarie University out of Australia, and they were developing a program that could offer mental health support and therapy through the internet, using a platform and being able to offer this kind of to folks in the comfort and privacy of their own home. And it was designed to, for the general population, but to address symptoms associated with anxiety and depression and trauma and those kinds of things and it took off so it was only available here in Saskatchewan but it was really a fantastic way to help break down some of the bottlenecks we had in our system because like in many provinces even at that time 10 years ago backlogs were still a thing <laughs> as they are now even more so on the backside of this pandemic right but they were still a thing then and so giving people another pathway of mental health service that they could access and so that was kind of the start of this type of format to offering care. And then we have an organization at the University of Regina, where Heather is also, called CIPSERT. So that's the Canadian Institute for Public Safety Research and Treatment. And so CIPSERT really acts as a knowledge hub, a hub across Canada to attract kind of the best and brightest who are doing work specifically dedicated to improving the mental health and well-being of public safety personnel. And so Dr. Nick Carlton, who's the scientific research director there, and Heather started having some conversations about, hey, we see a lot of barriers that public safety personnel experience when they're trying to access mental health services. Wouldn't it be cool if we could tailor this to meet their unique needs and, and really exemplify their experience and provide this kind of service for them. So they put in a proposal to the federal government and they were successful and they were funded by the federal government's action plan on post-traumatic stress disorder. And that's how, how they came to be. And so when I came on board, we were able to pilot this in two provinces, so Saskatchewan and Quebec, because we wanted it available in both official languages. And so when I came on, one of the first things that I was responsible for, and my, my colleague, Dr. Amélie Fournier, who was heading the same, same services up in Quebec, was to go out to public safety personnel, first responders, foreign members, civilian members, all different sectors, all different ranks, and really connect with them and say, hey, as we're building this program, we're building this platform, 
what do you think is important to have included? So everything from what kind of topics do you want? What are you guys bumping up against? If, it, if it's sleep, if it's relationships with your loved ones, if it's anger, whatever it is. So really wanted to get a sense of what, did, what kind of information do they want included? And also the logistics of it. How do you want to connect with your therapist each week? Do you want to talk to a therapist each week? <laughs> like what are some things that you find valuable? And so to me, I've always been of the, the mindset of it's really important to meet people where they're at they're the best expert on their own experience, not me. And so I love this approach because it really was built with and built in conjunction with the very people who are going to be using the program. And I think that was just so, like, I just, I really gravitated towards that. So we did that and we, as we built it, really were able to tailor it to meet those very unique needs of public safety personnel, of first responders, and that's really how we got going. And then we launched right before the pandemic. So we launched in January 2020, <laughs> like official launch. And who knew how valuable this kind of a approach to mental health support would be because by March we were all locked down. And this was still going. We, we didn't stop. We just continued on. How much do you see as people may be reluctant to speak to people in person? They also may be reluctant to speak to someone virtually or via text. Do you find there's a greater comfort level overall with people being able to access virtually or via text or via email, however they want to connect with their therapist than normally would be with people accessing in person? I think so. And that's why I like another pathway of care because everybody's different. Some people really need and want that face-to-face -face connection and they want to go into an office and they want to sit across from someone. But for some people, that scares the hell out of them and they'll never do it. And they will go along without support because there's no other option. Being able to offer something like PSVNet where they can access support with their counselor either through secure email, which is through a portal. So it's not their personal email or their work email. It's an email embedded in the portal or by telephone. And those sessions aren't to replace like an hour-long session. They're about a 25-minute, 30-minute conversation with your therapist once or twice a week. Like they have their hand on the throttle. So clients who come into our course have lots of flexibility. If they want to talk to their therapist once a week by phone, twice a week by phone, they can. If they just want to plug away through the course and don't talk to us, that's okay too. Like they have that, <laughs> they have a lot of autonomy there, which I think is really nice because some people will warm up to it. Some people won't and they just want to get the materials, but they still have someone kind of overseeing their progress as they work through the course, right? But I will say like one of the reasons that PSPNet was developed was because of the number of barriers that are experienced. And one of them, is, as you will know, is stigma. And even though I think we've done excellent work, probably I would say in the last decade for sure, of shining a light on this and really helping people to understand those invisible injuries, right? Because if you break your leg, you go into work, you've got a cast on, everyone says, oh shit, you got a cast on. How long are you going to be off? Are you doing physio? Like it's not a thing. But if you go to a call and you're impacted by that call, that exposure, no one gets it. Many people don't get it. They can't see it. They don't understand it. And so because of that, there's a lot of shame and there's a lot of vulnerability in anybody stepping out and saying, I don't know if I'm okay. I think that might have impacted me. And also because of the identity that you guys hold in these jobs. This is more than an occupation for people who get into these roles typically. It's part of your identity. And so there's so much at risk for someone to say, hey, I don't think they're competent. I, I hear they're kind of, they're not doing so well, you know, and that, that kind of whispering 
within the organization will spread like wildfire. So many people will hesitate to go down to HR. They'll hesitate to talk to a supervisor. They'll hesitate to go fill out papers. But when you have an option that is completely confidential, so the only people that would know you're going through PSPNet is you and anybody you decide to tell. So everything is from the privacy and comfort of your home. And so you can log in two in the morning, two in the evening, whatever suits your schedule. There's no feedback loop to employer. There's no list of people who've accessed PSPNet, none of that. We wouldn't be operational. There's a bit of relief in knowing that just there's just another option. And I like to highlight that because we're not trying to be competitive with EFAP or peer-to-peer or SISM or any other support of private counseling. We want to just be another option for support. Yeah, that was going to be my next question. If you work with organizations as their EFAP or are you completely separate from that and you just work with individuals? Yeah, we're separate from that. But what we do find is that we always want to make sure that people are getting the most appropriate support. So let's say somebody comes to PSPNet and we connect with them and we recognize, I don't think this is going to be the best support for you. I think you need more specialized support. We work with that client to say, hey, what part of the country are you in? What Here's some supports and resources that are available to you there because we never want to leave people hanging. And because for many people, they will reach out for help once and if they have a crummy experience, good luck at them coming back and feeling safe to do that again. So it's very important that even if we felt the person who engaged us was this was not the best support for them, they needed more, we wouldn't just say, oh, you don't fit here, but good luck to you. We want to make sure that we help connect them with the most appropriate support and help them navigate that a little bit in their area. It's definitely a crucial message to get through to people that they are looking for someone that they connect with. Not connecting with the first person they speak to doesn't mean that all help is going to be that way. It's about a connection. And obviously, it's better to connect with somebody when you're not in crisis and have that person set and ready for when you need them as opposed to trying to find someone during crisis. Yeah. And I would say even our PSP note in the service we provide, I think there's a misconception that people should only come to us if they have very severe or complex symptoms. And that's definitely not the case. Do we see people who are severe and complex in nature? Sure we do. But we also see people who are kind of middle of the road or people with very mild or sometimes people with not a lot of symptoms at all. But I'm really also trying to promote this when I do outreach and engagement, that this can be proactive in nature. So we have very useful tools and strategies that people can really tuck away in their toolbox, so to speak, and pull them out when those storms of life hit. And that really can help us from getting people who are now just very much in the red zone. We want to help prevent people from getting to that place. And like you said, grinding it out, stuffing things down, trying to ignore it until they get, basically until the wheels fall off, and then they're in crisis. That's a scary place to be. So if we can help people, you know, like you say, equip them and support them upstream, we want to be able to do that as well. So I highlight that because I do get phone calls and say, you know what, like I don't want to take up a spot from someone who really needs it. We've got plenty of capacity. The way that we provide care, we have no wait times. And so huge, <laughs> huge advantage there because we're seeing, like I said, across the country, just backlogs in both private and, and public sectors right now. I want to touch back on something you said was really important about identity and how much we identify with what we do. Having done therapy work with non-emergency service personnel and now emergency service personnel, 
obviously there is some uniqueness to different careers and there is some uniqueness to what we do. I feel being in it for as long as I have and having done therapy for as long as I have too, I realize that people don't come into the job as blank slates. And even if you didn't have the job you have, you would benefit from having a counselor and doing therapy in your life just for your personal, regardless of what your career is in your life is. Maybe speak to me about how we identify as incredibly unique is maybe an exaggeration. I guess there's a the thought that people come into the job as blank slates and then the job does this to them. This is the only thing that's ever caused trauma or difficulty or anything I'd ever have to talk to anybody about. It's, it's the job where there likely is a lot that they already bring into the job and then the job exacerbates that or adds on top of that. I guess I'm trying to get through to people that you may start going to therapy or speaking to a counselor because of what you think the job has done, but that you're probably going to realize there was a lot more there than just the job, which is of huge benefit. And it really becomes more about personal work. And that's what builds your resilience and your resistance. Well, and I think understanding that you're all human, right? I think there's sometimes this myth that somehow people that go into these sectors are somehow superhuman. The things that you're regularly exposed to, somehow you're supposed to just be able to not be triggered by that or not or somehow be able to manage that. But one of the things, and this, even in the way that people experience their reaction to trauma, because and you'll know this, two of you could go to a call, the same call. One of you could walk away incredibly impacted, right? One of you could walk away not phased at all. And people say, well, why is that? To me, and, and my experience over the years is I really do feel it's what you said, is that people have different experiences from the time they're born up into adulthood. And it does really cause, in my estimation, some different hot buttons that we have, right? And even for myself, I hear this stuff secondhandedly all the time. And so there's certain things that I'll hear, and I could hear the most gruesome description of a call, and it might not bother me. I'll hear something that would outwardly seem very benign, and that's the thing. And it trips off something in me that I have a very long route on. So if you kind of follow that route or you follow that thread, you'll find exactly what you said is that throughout our own development, throughout our own experiences growing up, we will have hot buttons. And there are certain calls, certain exposures that will trip those off. The unfortunate part about being in the first responder public safety world is that you're ability for you to be exposed is much, much greater than those in the general mainstream occupations. So if you think about it, multiple chances to be exposed multiple times a day, every day, right? And then you add in things that make your capacity for dealing with those events weakened, lack of sleep, right? Increased stress. And even you'll find many first responders say like, I feel, and their loved ones will say, I feel like they've changed. I feel like they're not the same person they were before they went into this occupation. And that's really our brain's response to trauma. Trauma does change the brain. There's just no two ways about that. So there's a lot of things that are very unique to the first responding public safety world, right? Even the culture that you work in is different. As a therapist, one of the things that I really make sure, and even our team at PSPNet, it's very important that our team is experienced in and understands the very unique culture that you all work in. That's very important. I've heard it time and time again of, of people going and reaching out for some counseling and they see a counselor who's never been exposed to this kind of work. They don't really understand what the world of first responding or public safety is all about. And either the client going in is now consoling them because they're very upset by what they've heard or you know they're sitting there kind of like it's an after-school special and it's not their intention it's no one's intention to do harm but it's very important that 
mental health providers working with first responders, working with public safety personnel, really understand the culture and the uniqueness of the job that you do. Because it's, it's so important. In your experience, how much are you finding that people come in for things about the job, but they realize that there is a lot of personal work underlying that, that their cup was close to full already, and now the job's going to add on top of that. So, and then how much benefit are people getting from that, from realizing this is a lot more for them and a lot more beneficial than they even imagined? I would absolutely agree with you. I think it's important for people to recognize, and I think that's part of our jobs as counselors, is to help people recognize that it's not always necessarily this one thing that has kind of tripped off, or like you said, kind of put the cup in an overflowing state. I think there's a really significant importance at looking at one's history, <laughs> looking at what's the catalyst behind some of the feelings or even the way in which we respond to things. Why do you see the world the way you see it? Why is your lens the way it is? That's right. Yeah. So I do think that we'd be amiss if we don't take some of that into consideration. That being said, I see many, many individuals who are pretty stable. Things are pretty pretty okay. And they have, like I said, a, a bit of a misconception about what it's going to be like going into this kind of occupation. And I'm seeing that more and more where they're kind of shocked. They didn't recognize that this is what they were going to be seeing and hearing and smelling. And they didn't realize they wouldn't be able to just somehow zap it out of their brain and move on and, and be quote unquote normal like they were before and go to bed at night and not have these things flashing around in their head and ping ponging around in their head. So I think there's some of that as well. That people do sometimes go into this pretty much in balance, but that constant slew of exposures that have the potential to be impactful, traumatically impactful upon people, it's hard to grapple with. And it changes people in many ways. And that's why support's so important. Another important piece you touched on previously was that you can't always label what a list of calls would be that people would realize these are going to be impactful to you. How much do we do ourselves and each other a disservice by saying, for example, and I've, I've spoken about this before, that using the phrase, like, kid calls are the worst. I'd like just your opinion on that, because the way I've proposed it is that you're priming your brain. If we tell each other that over and over again, or you tell yourself that, that eventually when the call comes in, you're already primed to be processing it, that it's going to be the worst. So you set yourself up. On the flip side, if you go to the call and you're not affected by it at all, then you're like, am I a monster? How important is it that we just learn to take our life experiences and these calls in our careers as they come and address them as they are? It's such a big one to unpack because even the training, these are things that really, I think, need to be highlighted in the new firefighters, for example, that are going to be coming into this profession because I don't think that they're always necessarily equipped to even understand exposures to potentially traumatic events. And what potentially is traumatic to me will be different to you. And to think that it's also only a one and done, there's also a cumulative effect, right? I've talked to many, I, I just remember this one interview I had done with a, a paramedic when we were doing these interviews for PSPNet. And he shared that he'd been in this field for over 20 years and he just felt like every fall there was another boulder put into his backpack. And by the time he got to the end of his career, I mean, he was just totally leaning backwards with this heavy burden. It wasn't just one call. It was bits and bits and bits of the stuff that had been accumulating over such a long time as a mental health therapist, but also just as a, as a human being. You recognize the importance, and we get it logically, right? If you've got a bucket 
in your house, if let's say it's filled with toys and the bucket's overflowing, right? Or the garbage is overflowing. We think, okay, well, we got to go dump that out, right? But for many of us, we don't do that. And we see this within public safety personnel and first responders. They somehow think they can keep adding to this bucket and stuffing it down and tucking it away. And this stuff is just spilling out all over. And when they finally recognize that they need to empty their bucket is usually when they're in crisis, right? When they can't ignore it any longer. And so part of our work as therapists and as uh, mental health support, we need to help people to figure out how can I start to unpack some stuff are there things I can do to turn down the volume in my brain when those thoughts get so loud and so noisy? And the key is yes. And this is why like, I love PSPNet. When I hear people who go through it, they'll email us after and I love this. They'll say like, I didn't think it was possible. And I didn't think it would be this easy. Like, not that it's not easy, but practical. It, it doesn't have to be. People start to get these very practical tools and skills and strategies and once they see how they actually can start to integrate them into their life pretty quickly, they really start to get more confidence that this doesn't have to be how my life is. I can do something about this. I can regain some control over what's going on in my mind and how that impacts how I feel and how that impacts how I behave, right? And that's really, that's the premise of cognitive behavior therapy is helping people to get a hold on the driver of the bus, which is our thoughts. Well, and this is the idea of where attention goes, energy flows. And then the idea of the of neuroplasticity, where things that fire together, wire together. We're very apt to, when we're passionate or we care, or we want to make change in our lives, say physically, where we find the right workout program and we're tweaking our diet and we're taking this new supplement and we're talking openly about it and we're watching videos about it and we're constantly obsessing over it to get the results we want. And yet people think that their psychological state, they can just manage that with it and it'll just manage itself or it takes no effort whatsoever. So I think once people start putting energy and time and care into this aspect of their life, like you said, they realize like, oh, it's just like anything else. There's just skills and things that you need to put the repetitions in and the time into and eventually you'll get benefit from it. But if you don't pay any attention to it, you're not going to get anything from it. I think sometimes it's even the mindset, right? Like for us, we call our program, we, we have different courses. Even the word course changes it for people. So when I'm doing presenting about PSPNet, we'll talk about that. This is giving you skills and strategies. If you stay away from the word therapy, sometimes I find that you'll actually draw more people in because it's like, they're not as scared of the word course or skills or strategies. But I pitch it in the fact that even if you're someone who's kind of sitting in this presentation with your arms crossed and you're kind of like disengaged and you're like I don't need this I'm fine I, I totally get that but there's skills in here that can even help you to do your job better even in terms of performance right because there's not one person that wakes up in the day and doesn't have at least one negative or unhelpful thought ping-ponging around in their head it just doesn't happen and it's those thoughts it's even the level of stress if you think about the heightened level of stress that many of you in these occupations it stays high there's no real coming down. There's so many different things that people could get benefit out of taking the course, even if they are very arms crossed, stubborn, saying, I don't need this, I'm fine, even in terms of how they do their job, right? Even their ability to focus, their ability to improve their performance, their ability to manage constant stimuli at one time. Those are things that even if they, if they don't feel like they want to get into the feeling stuff, there's just, there's so many good tools and strategies that they could glean from a program like this. So it really is helpful to anyone. There's things that I think almost anyone could get out of the courses that we offer. 
You mentioned the one medic, and I think that's a common assessment or phrasing or reflection about over a career of calls. I had these boulders, the backpack, the weight. Some people have used the term the garbage bag fills or the bucket overflows. But again, very focused on it was the years of calls that caused this. I've used the phrase as of late that people often say that they can leave work at work, but they never. you never hear anybody say, I leave home at home how important is it again for people to realize that they're living a fluid existence and that the occurrences in their life are also adding boulders into that bag and then if they're feeling weighed down if they're not unpacking these things and processing them properly on top of the call itself maybe being difficult now if people are seeing changes in you or it is changing you as any experience does now that's impacting your relationships in your personal life so that, again, is causing boulders on top of that. So it, it creates this negative spiral that work and your personal life are inextricably linked. So is your mind and your experience of your life. So maybe to speak to that in your opinion. There's a couple of things I want to mention on that point. I think the one is I always use this analogy. It's like if you've ever driven a standard, let's say you're cruising along on the highway and you're in fifth gear. And you all of a sudden try to crank it down into first. You don't gear down. You're just you're jamming that thing down into first gear. We all know what's going to happen, right? It's going to be a problem. <laughs> You'll be lucky if your tranny doesn't fall out, right? But many people, whether it's going from home to work or work to home, there's no shifting down. There's no gearing down. So you're staying at a heightened state. And like you said, and, and you're very right that there's many people who are equally dealing with stuff going on at home and sometimes it's more so the stuff going on at home and I think it's important to highlight that too because that is a common question we get if I'm dealing with stuff at home am I still eligible to access PSPNet yes you are absolutely it doesn't only have to be work related because for many people it's exactly what you said they're actually handling the stuff that they're exposed to at work okay it's the going home that's causing a significant contribution to whatever symptoms they might be experiencing so that's one piece the other piece is that dynamic of the family and and we recently launched a program a course in the summer here specifically designed for spouses and significant others so it's through our PSPNet families program and it is also to provide some of these same skills and strategies to be offered to the spouses and significant others the families of public safety personnel because we know the ripple effect the job will affect the family, even if you think of just basics, right? Shift work. But like you said, like the worry, the fear, the anxiety, the having to deal with difficult parts of the relationship now and how you interact and different behaviors. And, and we know that, right? We'll see that. And even in my experience, spouses will say like they've changed. They're very snappy now. They're impatient. They fly off the handle. It's often actually family members who are the first ones who say to their loved one, their first responder, their public safety personnel, loved one, that something's off. I'm noticing a change in you. That's usually the first place that they hear it, even maybe before they recognize it themselves. So the involvement of the family is so great. And it's been really neat to see family members starting to get support from the program. We've even had a, a couple going through at the same time where we have a first responder and then their, their loved ones taking the spouses and significant other course. Yeah, I'm really grateful that we're able to offer that because you see the power in them getting more confidence, getting a better understanding of how they can work through some of these thoughts and feelings and the precipitating behaviors with just integrating some of these basic skills, right? Because we know the divorce rates within first responder population. <laughs> we know the impact on relationships. The literature is out there to support that. But so now it's about really making sure that 
that they all have the tools and resources that they need so that they can get back into a place of balance, working together as a, as a family unit. And how much would families of first responders and loved ones, how much would they also benefit from, and the first responder themselves, from the awareness that it's easy to see how with the first responder in that dynamic, that their job, their processing or lack of processing is impacting the family. But if we think about how many human beings currently, how many are emotionally mature, emotionally stable, have nothing to work on, they're perfect, pristine, operating, interacting, communicative. How many people do you know like that? Probably very few. I think maybe the one thing that's also not spoken about too is that it's easy and there's a lot of shame and guilt and I think it would be easy to own all of the problems in a relationship and all because you're the first responder, you're going to these calls, you're having trouble, it's all on you, it's your fault. How much is it where family members and just people in general in these relationships should understand that they also are playing a part in this interaction in this relationship. So they are also bringing their issues. If they're not dealing with themselves and owning their own mental health and physical health and their own life, that then also has an impact on the first responder and on themselves. So I guess what I'm saying is it's a really easy target and distraction to say it's all on the first responder and they're the problem and everyone else is mentally stable. Yeah, (laughs) I think you raise a really good point, right? All of us can benefit from getting skills and strategies and support. I mean, I see a counselor because I I can't handle it. No, but because I'm also human. Even though I teach this stuff, I too need a reminder about how to process things and how to communicate better and how to be more open-minded and how to be a better listener. Those are things, right? And same thing, you know, even the dynamic between my, my husband and myself because of the work that I do. Like he's an IT guy. So he, you know, he doesn't get, he doesn't get exposed to the same kind of stuff. But over the course of our 25 year marriage, we've also had to work on that because I needed to also communicate with him what I needed and vice versa. You, you have to be able to have that dynamic no matter what occupation you're in. But because we know the incidence of exposure to trauma, the incidence of stress just because of the nature of your work is higher. It's very important that there's balance in the home base because that's where the first responder also is coming to decompress, to unwind. And when we're not seeing that space at home, and I've seen this over the years, it really, really does add, it heightens the level of intensity, whatever they're experiencing, whether it's at work, at home, but it heightens their overall experience and the symptoms they experience, right? So I agree with you. It's never a one-way relationship. There's, it takes two to tango, right? So in any relationship, you're going to see that. But where it can be helpful is if we can shine a light on that. And not only shine a light, but then help to, to give people the tools. If you don't know better, you can't do better. And so it's really important to, I think it's an empowering thing if we can give, if in the PSP net courses that we're offering to first responders and public safety personnel, we're giving them skills. And there's many resources built into the course that talk about communication strategies, right? How do you communicate with your loved one? How do you share with them what you need? How do you ask for what you need? (laughs) How do you listen? And vice versa. And vice versa. And in the spouses and significant others course, exact same thing. So if we can get these tools out there to families, so not only to the first responder and, and public safety personnel, but to their families, I think that we can have a significant impact, like I said, in just in, in not only educating, but then giving people something they can do to make a change. Because many people just feel hopeless in their situations. They don't know what to do. Then we do what we've always done, right? So whether it's avoid or distract or be combative, right? We just, we don't know what to do. 
And so it's not always the healthiest way. But if you start to know better, then you can start to make some of those changes and, and do better. And that really can affect the experience at home and, and the experience of the, of the first responder as well. Yeah, I guess what our utopic hope would be that perhaps the job is what brings you specifically into wanting to do personal work, self-awareness, work on your communication, get healthier. But really, it's a door that opens where we should realize then that everybody in a family, everybody in a relationship can benefit from guidance, from coaching, from help with their life. And that really this healing process, this processing process, <laughs> if you're not the only one in the relationship, it's it's everyone's involved in it. I don't think this is to say where you should be able to come home and dump whatever you want on your loved one. That's not what it's about. It's about learning communication and emotional maturity and self-awareness and how to reflect maybe speak briefly about say even nervous system regulation and maybe even how relationship attachment styles can also affect people oh well yeah because even if you think about it right if you're in a heightened state all the time if you're in a fight or flight state right and many first responders many public safety personnel will talk about kind of always being in that state of hypervigilance they'll even talk about they're out for supper with their loved one and they're scanning the room and they make sure that they're positioned somewhere where they can get out and they're seeing if they know anybody through their work life that they're familiar with Again, you can't shut that off. When you're done your shift. There is going to be a disconnect there, right? Even with with your loved ones, right? And then the loved one has to find a way to respond to that. So there's a number of different things that we know just about, like I said, being in that heightened state and the domino effect or the, the trickle-down effect that will have to any relationship that you have with anybody, whether it's a friend, whether it's the loved one, etc. But I think you're right. I think there's so many complexities, though. It would be, I think, a miss to say that it's only because of these exposures that first responders react to. I think it's a huge contributing factor, but I agree with you. We will, all of us, no matter what occupation we're in, we will all take certain personality traits and characteristics and behavior styles that, where did those develop? Well, they developed as we grew up. So even when you think about attachment styles, over the years when I've worked with people, they come in with a particular behavior they want to change. And they're really upset because they feel like they're chasing their tail trying to change this behavior, whatever it is. Maybe it's perfectionism. And they say, you know, if I don't check all these boxes every day, I don't feel enough. We could focus on the here and now. And some therapists might. But for me, in my, in my own practice, I, I really like to go and, like I said, follow that thread. Where is that originating? Because to me, it's kind of like if you go to a fire and you tamp out the fire and on the surface it starts to go down, but it keeps popping back up. We've got to look for a fuel source. Have we looked for a fuel source? Do we need to turn that fuel source off? And that's kind of how, at least in my private practice, that's how I work, is I will go backwards and say, okay, let's follow that. What's the source on that? And usually there is a historical component. And whether it's the way that they were having interactions with significant people in their life growing up, at an early age, we're sponges. And so we're really picking up on a lot of things that tell us a lot about how we're going to see ourselves how we're going to see the world, how people should treat us, right? And we carry those things up into adulthood. And unfortunately, like you said, when you're thrown into a very high stress, very intense occupation, one where you do have potential for repeated traumatic exposures, it's going to potentially hit off or cause you to be reactive potentially in ways that maybe you wouldn't have if you were in some other occupation. Does that make sense what I'm saying? Mm -hmm, absolutely. There's more opportunity. You have to deal with the same life stuff that everyone else has to deal with, plus you have this added on top. It's a lot to manage, and I guess for the responders themselves and for their families to give each other a bit of grace, I guess is what I'm looking for. And 
and realize that it's not all the shame and guilt and burden placed on the first responder themselves to fix themselves. And if they fix themselves, everyone else is going to be fine. It's about personal humanity. We all have work to do. And when we're working on ourselves, we're helping everybody else around us. So it's really an owned responsibility of everybody. Well, and that's why I'm excited we're able to offer the families program because it's easy to say that, but people, like I said, we're all human and we're all looking for ways to potentially make things better or feel better and get back into a healthier space. But if we don't know how to do that, then we kind of feel hopeless and stuck. So I'm really glad that we're also able to offer that support to the the loved ones because it helps to balance things out a little bit. It's not just focused on the public safety personnel or the first responder in their role, but also extends it out into that family unit, which for them, in many instances, those are their protective factors. That's If we think about what insulates us from stress, it's loving relationships, it's hobbies, it's exercise. Like you said, there's a number of things that help to insulate us from the impacts of stress, but we know unequivocally, even if you think about the buffering hypothesis, that social, like loving social supports, huge protective factors. And so we would be totally amiss if we don't pay attention to what's going on at home. It will directly impact the first responder, the PSP, right? And and being able to have a place of reprieve, <laughs> a place to kind of refuel, right? When they go have to go back out into these types of roles. I'd maybe just like to touch on one more thing, and then we can discuss how people can connect with PSPNet and get the benefit from it. You mentioned the term buffering. It's very common to in peer support education and emergency service mental health education to talk about how we put a barrier between us and the people we're helping, or we buffer, or because we need to focus, we need to do our jobs, and we can't be connected and engaged with the people we're helping. I feel personally, and this is a message I'm starting to sort of put out because I've been able to distill it down in my mind, that I feel that perhaps putting these barriers up, choosing to disconnect, seeing the connection with people or that we're helping as a something to be feared because it's going to damage us and make things either A, we can't do our job, or B, it's going to be too traumatic for us. I get the feeling that it actually makes it worse, that I have found that actually at a proper healthy level, connecting empathetically in a compassionate way with the people that I'm there to help, even in very, very terrible situations, actually helps me process it better afterwards because I can look back on that as a positive energy that I brought to that moment, why I was there, how I helped them, as opposed to disconnecting as a protective factor is about connecting is actually more beneficial. Maybe I'd just like to get your take on that. Yeah, and I think it's a very individualized experience. Because I would say for many people, it's not even a choice. I would say that sometimes because of what they're being exposed to, I don't necessarily know if there's an actual choice there of their brain kind of going offline, of them detaching. The brain needs to find a way to process something that is not the norm, something that maybe they've never seen before, heard before, smelled before. And so I don't even know if many instances it's a conscious decision to say I'm going to emotionally detach from this. I almost think it's a bit of survival in doing whatever they have to do to not completely implode in that moment. So I almost feel like the brain does that as a bit of a survival mechanism. But I've also heard from many clients over the years exactly what you said, that reconnecting with that, with our limbic system, with the emotional side of what they've been exposed to can be helpful in making sense or making some kind of, like you said, positive or some kind of contribution out of a situation that was horrific, 
that they really surface appraisal couldn't see anything good out of that scenario whatsoever but being able to bring a little bit of dignity to the person that they supported or the person that they helped in some way so I agree with you and I think it's a very individualized approach and oftentimes I think like I said with support with people accessing supports in all different forms whether it's PSP net or whether it's private counseling or whether it's with your chaplain or whichever way it is or a loved one being able to have an opportunity to process some of this, I think will connect people with some of those opportunities. Because I know for myself in working with first responders and, and PSP, and, and not even just in PSP net, but just in other areas of my career, that it hasn't been obvious to them that that would be important. But in working and getting support from their therapist, they've come to realize that okay, I'm making the connection now and I can see how that might bring me a bit of closure. Give me a way to reconcile what I've just been exposed to or what I've been exposed to even 10 years ago, right? So I think it's very individualized, but I think, again, I I highlight the need and the importance of ensuring that people feel comfortable in getting whatever type of support, whatever level of support that they're ready for, whether it's us or whether it's some other support that's available to them, but ensuring that they know that They not only need that, but they really deserve it. They deserve that because it's those small steps that can really help them to kind of get to a place where they are back in balance and they don't have to live from this kind of tortured state for the rest of their careers. So what's the best way for people to start investigating if PSPNet is best for them, finding the right person to speak to, finding out if their benefits cover it? How can they integrate it into their self-care? Well, I'll give you the key features. So the the first barrier that gets taken off the plate is that we're free. So we're a free service. There's two levels of service opportunity right now. So we have, our goal is to be nationwide um, and offer our full array of services nationwide. Right now, we have agreements with in Saskatchewan, Quebec, Nova Scotia, New Brunswick, and PEI. And in those provinces, because we've entered into MOUs and we have those agreements in place, they will get opportunity for kind of the full service. So that includes that therapist support. So they have access to all of the courses, the well-being course, the PTSD course, the self-guided well-being course, and the spouses and significant others course. And they do have option for therapist support. If you're residing in provinces or territories outside of those five listed right now, you will still have access to all of the self-guided. So you'll have access to the self-guided well-being and you'll have access to the spouses and significant others course, but you don't get the therapist support, that optional therapist support currently. We are in talks with many provinces and territories right now, and if we're not available in your province or territory, make some noise because that's the way that we, that's the way that we raise the awareness to say, hey, we want the full array of services available where we are, we want that. And so that really does help us to continue to grow and make sure that we can provide this to everybody. So, but we are completely free of charge. We don't require a referral. So there's no getting paperwork from your healthcare provider or your work or filling out that kind of stuff, nothing like that. That really increases that level of accessibility. Very confidential because like I said, if you have an internet connection and a device, you can connect with us. So (laughs) anywhere, anytime, right? and you can access the course. So that's fantastic. We also don't require a diagnosis. So again, you might be someone who has more complex symptoms. You might be someone who's got pretty minimal symptoms um, and is looking to kind of enhance the tools and strategies you have. 
you're eligible for the course. And again, no real wait times. So from the time that you kind of go online, you fill out the questionnaires, and those questionnaires aren't to tax people to death. We just want to get a snapshot of kind of where you're at. So we'll ask some questions about your mental health history, your medical history, your sleep, your symptoms, your level of functioning, and then you're able to connect with one of our team members. And bingo, bango, within two business days, you'll be able to be admitted into one of the courses. So if you want to find out more, you can head over to our website. Tons of information there, not only about our courses, but just lots of good resources. You can go to www.pspnet.ca. Is there anything else you want to touch on before we wrap it up? I just really want to thank you. I think the work that you're doing to, again, shine a light on this and generate awareness and deeper dialogue and conversations, it creates a safe space. And we need to do more of that because so many people just feel completely frozen and terrified by thinking that I just have to try to deal with this on my own. And that's such a a lonely and isolated place to be, to know that there's so many men and women just like you with the same experience who are willing to share it and advocate. It's just so commendable. So I just can't thank you enough for the work you're doing. Awesome. I appreciate that. And I appreciate the work that you do and, and your colleagues as well. It's our pleasure. It was great to chat with you today. 